So this is a very typical John passage um, in that it doesn't go, it's not straightforward, it's not linear, it's not beginning, middle, end. It's not like, you know, the Gospel of Mark, where it's just, and then Jesus did this, and then he did this, and then this happened, and boom, 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 boom. John, Mark kind of goes in straight lines, and John goes in spirals. And that's both the maddening and beautiful thing about the Gospel of John is that John will get into an idea or a teaching and just kind of get right in there and stretch it out and bring it back and say the same thing slightly different way about 15 times. So if you're a checklist kind of person, John might not be your guy. I happen to love the Gospel of John because it is so multi-layered. So in this passage, this is the passage from which the United Church took the words that are on our crest. Ut omnes unum sint, Latin, that all may be one. That is Jesus' prayer for his disciples and for you and I in this passage. And so as we read this, and as I pondered that inaugural service 96 years ago that was so full of optimism and hope and, and energy, I really sat with this question of what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be one? Well, 2,000 years after those first disciples, after Jesus, we're still working on that question. And in some ways, we in the United Church have lived it out, and in other ways, we haven't. Because we are like every other church that has and has not lived out this prayer of Jesus, that we may be one as Jesus and his Father are one. If you read the book of Acts, there are some stories in there about the early church. And it kind of, honestly, I think it's hilarious because really, if you read it, the early church, according to the book of Acts, was basically communist. Um, which I really love in the face of like rah-rah American capitalist, you know, the flag and Jesus, because they shared everything. Nobody owned anything individually. Everything they had was shared among them. So it was the original dream of communism. Of course, communism, as we have witnessed it, completely goes off the rails and has given rise to many dictatorships. But the book of Acts, the early church is living the dream. Here's the thing, the book of Acts was written around the same time as the Gospel of Luke, because they're paired. And Luke, according to the, you know, our best guess, was written somewhere between 80 to 120 years, um, well, 50 to 70 years after Jesus died. 
If you read Paul's letter to the Galatians, which would have been written 20 years, maybe 25 years after Jesus died, it's not quite the same depiction of the early church. Because in his letter to the Galatians, Paul writes about having a fallout with the apostle Peter. This is the first generation of the church. Jesus is, I was going to say Jesus is barely cold in his grave, but then I remembered, oh yeah, Jesus kind of rose from his grave. Nobody tell the candidacy board I made that slip. Okay, but Peter was the rock on whom Jesus would build his church. And yet, there they are, Galatians chapter 2, Paul accusing Peter of being a hypocrite. We're like barely past the resurrection in the Bible and already the church is arguing with itself. I personally find that reassuring. So this is why I'm preoccupied with this question of what it means to be the church and what does it mean to be one and what does it mean to be united, whether you spell that with a small or a capital U. I want to start with this passage before I get to historical bits about the United Church. This passage in the Gospel of John is the last thing Jesus says before he's arrested. So it comes at the end of his final meal with the disciples and before he goes out into the garden. And it's a prayer. I think it's very significant that Jesus' last words to his disciples are not a checklist, are not a manual of polity, are not instructions. It's a prayer. And it's specifically Jesus' prayer to God to care for his followers. He's not speaking to them. But, he's, but by praying in their presence, he is inviting them into his own relationship with the Father. Now, if you've ever had someone pray for you out loud in your presence, it is an enormously moving and humbling experience, hopefully. And now imagine that Jesus himself is right next to you praying for you out loud. Jesus, Son of God, who so loved the world that he went to the cross for it. It would be such an outpouring of grace to have that experience, to be next to Jesus as he prays for you. It would be like being soaked in a downpour of warm rain of love. And Jesus doesn't pray this prayer only for those who were physically in the room. There's a part in the passage where he says, I pray this for those who will believe because of the word of those gathered here. He prays for you and me. He prays for everyone who is going to hear this story. Jesus prays that we may be made holy in the truth, that God may keep us safe, that we be in God, that we may be where Jesus is. We are the people for whom Jesus prays and for whom Jesus is still praying. We are the ones who receive Jesus' outpouring of grace. We are soaked in Jesus' love. 
In his last moments, Jesus entrusts the care of the church, not to the church itself, but to God. And friends, I think that is so loving. I think that is so gracious and so generous. I think Jesus knows that the church, any church, cannot be entirely trusted to look after itself. I think Jesus knows that we lovable, well-meaning, good-hearted, fallible mortals will constantly do what Peter and Paul did 2,000 years ago, which is to disagree and accuse each other of hypocrisy. I think Jesus knows that we can't be left in charge. And so Jesus entrusts us to God's care. So this is a gift. It's a weight off our shoulders. We're not the run ones running the world. It also asks a response from us that is not always easy. To be in God's care as the church lifts a burden from us. It lifts the awful responsibility of being in charge. Humans do not do very well with power. You know this, I know this. We've seen it in our lives, we see it in government, we see it in the world. We need something outside ourselves checking up on us, holding us accountable. And that's why I, as your minister, answer to lots of people. And there are specific processes for checking up on me if I'm going off the rails. But to be in God's care means we also have to pay attention to God. It means we have to actively seek for where God is at work. If we are going to be directed by God, it means we have to spend time listening for God's voice. And that takes time. It takes intention, it takes energy, it takes practice. And to do it as a community, that requires the extra step of listening to one another. And that takes us back to our founding words, ut omnes unum sint, that all may be one. Being one together does not, cannot mean always having the same opinion. That's not church, that's, cult, that's a cult or a dictatorship. Jesus prays that we may be one as he is in the Father and the Father is in him. But Jesus the Son and God the Father are not identical. They are one, they are both God, they are still distinct. To be one involves the very demanding and very rewarding work of listening to each other. To be one in a healthy way is risky. It means vulnerability. It means voicing our fears and our worries and our questions. It means having the courage and the generosity and the grace to make space for the fears, the worries, the questions of others. 
Now, the good news is that we do not have to find that courage, that generosity, and that grace on our own. That's God's job. That's where the Holy Spirit shows up, and all we are required to do is pray. One of my uh, favorite um, speakers, public figures, is a Lutheran priest named Nadia Boltz-Weber. She lives in Colorado, and she has written some very, very heartfelt, open, raw books about her call. And one of the things she said is that one of her most common prayers is, God, please let me be an a-hole. And I love that. I just, like Sometimes it's just that simple. God, please don't let me be a jerk. If we're honest, the United Church has never been one. When the United Church held its inaugural service on June 10th, 1925, there was another meeting happening down the street, the General Conference of the Presbyterian Church in Canada. And there was a lot of pain, grief, and bitterness. The United Church of Canada, depending on how you count, was about 23 years in the making. The Presbyterian, Methodist, Congregationalist, and Union churches in Canada joined together after decades of meetings and negotiation. But not all Presbyterians joined. Many of the younger, smaller, rural, small-town Presbyterian churches of the West joined, but there were a whole lot of objections from larger urban churches in southern Ontario, Montreal, and the Maritimes, where the churches were older, Presbyterian identity was stronger, and frankly, the whole idea of union was just badly managed. And so when two-thirds of the Presbyterian Church in Canada joined the United Church in 1925, there was a remnant who remained Presbyterian, with friendships ended and bridges burned on both sides. There were Presbyterian ministers who voted for union when their congregations didn't, and vice versa. There were years of ugly legal arguments in the courts about money, property, bequests. And there were decades of hurt feelings. It's a painful story. It's part of our heritage. But so is the optimism, hope, and energy that characterized that first service on June 10th, 1925. Church is a messy business because it involves human beings. We will hurt each other we will be angry with each other. We will let each other down. Those are givens. I will let you down if I haven't already. I will disappoint you. I will say things that push your buttons. I will not phone you when I said I would. The question for us is can we have the stubbornness and the humility and the trust to stick around long enough for the grace that follows? Can we stick around for the hard conversations in which we pick up the pieces together? Can we stick around to build something new out of the pieces that have fallen around our feet?
Something that is not the same as what we had before. Something with cracks and imperfections, but something that is stronger and its own kind of beautiful because of its cracks and imperfections. We are not called to be clones. We're not called to be identical. When we are called to be one, we're called to, call, to trust that God is going to stick around long enough to pick up the pieces with us and to bless whatever we make so that God's light and grace and truth and mercy and justice shine right on through all the cracks in our precious, beloved church. Friends, Jesus has God. We are not alone in this business. Painful, life-giving, healing business of being church. Thanks be to God.